0: Our text for this morning is also from the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 33 through 12, verse 2. Starting at 11, verse 33, then, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I think it's fair to say that almost all of us want to live out our faith more. Almost all of us see room for improvement in our lives. We want to be a better witness of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We want people to see it in the way we raise our families, the way we treat each other at school, the way we conduct ourselves at work. And for most of us, we don't just see room for improvement personally, we also desire to see our churches do more. We desire that corporately, we could reach more people, have a bigger impact on our community. As a whole, we wanna have an impact on our neighbors, our friends, our family, and our community. So the big question that we typically wrestle with is not whether we want to do more, but we think the question is how? How can we do more? How can we be more effective instruments in God's hand? How can we be more missional, you might say? And then we quickly often jump to strategies. This is a temptation that we can fall victim to. We think about how we can make changes in our lives as a parent, an employer, or a neighbor. Or we plan to be more missional, more outreach-oriented, and instantly we begin to think about who we're gonna invite to church, what programs we're gonna run, what type of impact our website or social media might have. And don't get me wrong, these things are all important. They form part of the picture but they cannot form the foundation of what defines someone who is living out their faith. Because living out our faith doesn't start with these external changes. It needs to start with internal change, to start with personal transformation. We need to deeply understand what causes us to desire to live out our faith before we can focus on the how. For if you do not experience the transformative power of Jesus Christ in your own life, then you may go through the motions of being more missional, but you will not be motivated to truly share the gospel with others. And so Paul urges us in our text today to consider the transformative power of the gospel. We will see how this transformation changes the way we live and changes the way we think. Our text opens up with this little word, therefore. Whenever you're reading the scriptures and you stumble across this little word, it should raise a red flag. It's the author's way of saying, the point that I'm about to make is based or linked or directly related to what I've been talking about before. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's making an incredibly important connection in the book of Romans. For the first 11 chapters of the book, Paul has given an apology or a defense of the Christian faith. He's laid out the complete theological package. He's essentially explained the central points of the entire gospel message. He's worked his way through the story of the Bible, explaining the sinful and corrupt nature of man, the justice of God, the inability of mankind to find salvation through himself. Mankind deserves God's wrath, Paul says, and yet God chooses to show grace and mercy. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Instead, God chooses to save sinners. It's a salvation that has been made possible by the sacrifice and death of Jesus Christ. Romans is all about explaining the good news of the gospel. It's about salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And now it seems like that after 11 straight chapters of explaining the gospel, Paul stops here in 12 verse one. And he says, so what? What's the impact of us understanding this gospel? Why does this actually matter? Well, it matters, says Paul. Because you, if you actually accept the defense of the gospel, if you believe the Christian faith, it will have practical implications in your life. If you truly trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, then you will begin to experience the transformative power of the gospel. True conversion has to make a difference in a person's life. If there's no difference, there's no genuine conversion. Francis Schaefer, a 19th century theologian and pastor expresses the difference that the gospel makes this way. He says, as Christians, we are not only to know the right worldview, the worldview that tells us the truth of what is, but consciously to act upon the worldview so as to influence society in all its parts and facets across the whole spectrum of life. It is the gospel that must transform the way we live. And in our text this morning, we see Paul begin to provide a practical outline for what change looks like in our lives. First, in verse one, Paul urges believers to respond to the good news of the gospel with worship, spiritual worship. And this worship involves offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's a powerful picture, one that would have really hit home with Paul's audience. For Paul's writing this command at a time when not only Judaism, but almost every major religion, was actively involved in offering sacrifices, particularly animal sacrifices. Unfortunately, most people saw sacrifices as simply a way to please the gods. Just a routine that you went through to get what you want. And the Jews were not immune to this either. In fact, there are many Old Testament passages where God accuses the Israelites of doing just that going through the motions. But God wants heart worship, and that's not a new concept. That's what God wanted in the Old Testament. That's what he still wants today. So Paul's using the powerful imagery of animal sacrifice to illustrate what it really means to live lives of worship. God does not just want us to go through external routines, to go through the motions, to look religious. Paul's clear that God wants us to give our whole bodies, or specifically our whole lives, as our spiritual act of worship to Him. It is this worship and only this worship that God will find holy and pleasing. Every day, every hour, every moment of our life is worship, and God wants it. God deserves it because of who He is and what He has done for us in Christ Jesus. This is something we celebrate not just on Sunday. But every day of the week, the good news of the gospel should transform us in a way that makes our lives noticeably different. So, in what way? Well, for one, Paul specifically says we can no longer conform to the pattern of the world. We can no longer let the world dictate our lives. Instead, we're called to lead a life that stands in contrast to the world. Now, that's not easy. Paul himself is well aware of how hard it is. He lived in a world that was filled with ungodliness. Galatians 1 verse 4, for example, Paul refers to the world as this present evil age. As you look through the letters to the Ephesians, Galatians, and Corinthians, you can see that Paul warns believers against the worldly temptations of greed, lust, sexual immorality, idolatry, gossip, slander, and every other kind of sin. It certainly must have been a challenge for Christians to live as Christians, and yet Scripture is clear that we cannot have two masters. You either lead lives of worship to God, or we lead lives that give worship to the devil. And if we're honest this morning, the world world that we live in is not so different from the world that Paul lived in. We too live in what could be described as an evil age. Consider what we read in the headlines every day. If you take five minutes to scroll through your typical news feed, you'll see nothing but stories of violence, murder, sexual immorality, war, greed, gossip, scandal. We live in a world ravaged by sin, filled with brokenness and evil. It's a world that celebrates sin and condemns us for not celebrating it. Jesus' words from John 15 to 19 are clear. If you are of the world... The world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Our lives cannot conform to the world. We can't celebrate sin. This is a point that Paul also makes clear earlier in the book of Romans. We read it this morning, chapter 6, 12 and 13. There he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now maybe you sit here this morning and you say, I want to do that, but it seems so difficult. Well, you're right, it is hard. We're actually not told in the Bible that it'll be easy. Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is calling us to a daily life of sacrifice, a life that he knows will be difficult. It may involve ridicule, scorn, persecution, humility. It will require trust. And it might be tempting to think, why in the world would we want to live that life And the answer can only be found in the transformative power of the gospel. Because in the gospel, God teaches us about the meaning of real sacrifice. And he does so through the example of his son, Jesus Christ. You want to talk about ridicule and scorn? Consider Jesus, not even welcomed in his own town, mocked by his family, laughed at by the crowds, beaten and flogged by the Roman soldiers. You want to talk about persecution? Consider Jesus being nailed to a cross, spikes driven through his hands and feet, Watching his closest companions flee from him in his time of need, abandoned by his Father in heaven. You want to talk about humility? Consider Jesus, biting his tongue, taking all the insults, all the mockery, and quietly enduring it. You want to talk about trust? Consider Jesus leading this life of daily sacrifice for every single day, every single hour, every single moment of his ministry, and in the end, simply saying, God, your will be done, and all of this done for sinners like you and me, people who struggle, who sin, who really haven't done anything to deserve anything. Jesus gave up everything for people like us who did nothing so that we might receive everything. That's the amazing truth of the gospel, and if you believe the gospel, it will transform the way you live. You'll begin to see every day an hour and moment as an opportunity to worship your God. So do you want to be transformed? Do you want to live differently? Well, it all starts with the gospel. And yet, Paul now goes on in verse 2 to show that the transformative power of the gospel is not just about living differently. For the good news of the gospel is not just about changing the way you live, but that underlying this change in living is a fundamental shift in the way that you think. In the language of our text, Paul is saying the only way you'll be able to live lives of worship, lives that stand out from the world around you, is by experiencing the renewing of your minds. Because true worship, worship that God will find holy and pleasing, must come from a right heart. This is the crucial connection to changing how we live. It comes from a transformation of our hearts and minds. That's not to say that people who don't believe in Jesus Christ are not able to go out and do many morally good things. There's lots of people who go out and do good things, even great things, but yet they do them ultimately for the wrong reasons. They're not acts of worship, because they're not the thoughts of a renewed mind. Think of the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. They did a good thing, sold a field, gave the money to the church, appeared to be living their life of faith, a life of sacrifice, a life of worship but they were doing things for the wrong reasons. Their lives seemed to be transformed on the outside. They must have looked like great Christians. Yet they had not experienced transformation on the inside. They did not know what it was to experience the renewing of their minds. Now before we get ahead of ourselves, thinking that we're better than we are, we need to recognize that without the saving work of the Spirit of God in our lives, there's no inner transformation in us either. None of us wakes up one day and says, I think today is a good day for me to experience transformation. I think I'm going to go ahead and do that. Because by nature, humanity doesn't want changed hearts, they don't want renewed minds. The world out there doesn't want it, and by nature, we don't want it either. Instead, by nature, our minds are twisted and warped. In fact, the corrupt nature of mankind is such a foundational problem in this life that it's the first topic that Paul really addresses in his letter to the Romans. He's setting out this giant defense of the Christian faith. And what's topic number one? What's the starting point? The sinfulness of mankind. Paul says there's something categorically wrong with the hearts and minds of mankind. By nature, mankind suppresses the truth. Their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. If you look around the world and want to know what's wrong with humanity, the simple truth is that there's something fundamentally wrong with hearts and minds. And if it was up to us, we'd stay in that depraved state forever. By nature, we love our twisted minds. We were like pigs rolling in the mud. Seems gross, but by nature, that's what we're like. We're covered in sin and we love it. And yet, 1 Peter 2 tells us about how God, in his grace and mercy, has decided to choose for himself a people, a chosen people. And this people, says Peter, God will call out of darkness into his glorious light. God, out of his grace, has chosen to call people like you and me out of darkness into the light of the gospel. And the sacrifice and death of Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to receive the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who changes hearts and who's busy renewing minds. Consider what Paul says earlier in Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And this is because the Spirit lives in us. The Spirit of God transforms us so that our hearts are opened to the good news of the Gospel. And our minds become able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's not to suggest that this is a quick, one-time deal. You don't just pray and bang, you got a renewed mind. Instead, please note that Paul speaks of the renewing of your minds. Renewing in the sense of an ongoing action. It's a renewal that will take work, and a renewal that will be greatly affected by the kinds of things that we put into our minds. So what is it that we are feeding our minds with? Are we spending our time watching garbage on TV, on YouTube or on TikTok, reading sleazy books, telling dirty jokes, cursing, swearing, filling our time with slander, envy, Scandal, gossip. Guess what? Don't expect to experience the transformative power of the gospel if that's the case. There's great truth in the old saying garbage in, garbage out. Instead, let your minds feed on the beauty of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's a will which God has revealed in His Word, a Word that today we have incredibly easy access to. All of us have Bibles in our homes, usually several. They're in our kitchens, our living rooms, on the nightstand in our bedrooms. We often have them on our phones. So do you want to test and approve what God's will is? What the transformative power of the gospel is? Start right there. You want to be transformed? Do you want to live differently and think differently? Then think about what you're putting into your mind. If you want to live in accordance with the Spirit, says Paul, then set your mind on what the Spirit desires. In Philippians 4, verse 8, he gives practical advice on this matter, saying, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Spend time dwelling on God, reading his word, his plan of salvation, his grace, his mercy, And the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Your life won't change instantly. We'll have ups and downs. We'll make mistakes. Sometimes we'll feel like we're going backwards. But as we follow the example of Jesus Christ, we will be transformed more and more into his image. This will impact how we live. We will learn to live a life of sacrifice that more and more represents the one who gave the ultimate sacrifice. As you meditate on his life of perfect worship, you too. We'll learn what it is to lead a life of daily worship, personal worship with our families, in our homes, in church, at work, in school, and in our communities. As you follow Christ, your mind will be renewed day by day as it slowly conforms more and more towards the mind of Christ, It'll be transformed so that you'll be able to test and approve God's will. As you follow the example of the one who was perfectly able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So follow him. Follow Jesus and experience the transformative power of the gospel. Amen. We'll sing together hymn 48, stanza two and three.